In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. A couple decades ago, I was going through a particularly rough time in my life, and uh, some friends uh, sent me the uh, song by the rock group Nazareth, Love Hurts. It's arguably a terrible song. But I listened to it repeatedly then, and I've still kept listening to it over these years. Why do I listen to it over and over? Especially in times when I'm in some kind of emotional pain. Because it's true. Love does hurt. And the more the love, the greater the hurt. Speak the truth in love, Paul told us in last week's reading. And he amplifies that in this, this week's reading, the truth in love. And he talks about speaking the truth in love to your neighbor, assuming that you're already learning to speak the truth in love among your, your, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Speak the truth in love. The truth hurts only when love is in the mix, only when you love the one who is telling you the truth and they love you. If your spouse or a dear friend tells you you have hurt them, that you have said something cutting or have been cold or distant, you will hurt in a way you will not hurt, say, if your neighbor uh, tells you you've been aloof and distant. I mean, when you don't wave excitedly at your neighbor whenever you see them. <laughs> the more you love someone, the more it hurts when you hurt them and they you. You hurt for them. You hurt for yourself, for yourselves together, for the relationship. That's a lot of hurt. Love and truth. Love reveals and intensifies the truth. We could call that true love. So that the truth hurts more, but love also applies the truth in such a way as to heal the hurt. Paul says, speaking the truth in love, we grow up together in the body in every way to Jesus who is the head of the body. When we speak the truth, however, without love, when we speak the truth harshly and when we harden ourselves against the truth, we do not grow together, we grow apart, and sometimes we tear each other apart. What it comes down to is the condition of our hearts. Are they soft or are they hard? Are they open or are they closed? You know, it's not natural for us to allow our hearts to be softened, just as our physical hearts do not uh, soften as we progress through life, um, so it is with our spiritual hearts, our inner being. When we are hurt, we, 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 we scar, we harden, we recoil. It's human nature. And in today's demanding reading, Paul talks about this new self and this new way of living. It seems over the top. But he says our new identity in Christ leads to new behavior in Christ. And Paul calls here for a complete break from the immoral conduct of the surrounding culture. And it's not so much about the morality. What he targets in on is their hardness of heart. The Greek word translated hardness is porosis, which, uh, which we get the, the medical term osteoporosis. Um, but it refers to bones being hardened and brittle and breaking, and breaking into shards, and then bones breaking and hurting the rest of your body. And so the immoral behavior that Paul talks about and addresses here follows from the hardness of heart. And the result is that they treat each other, they treat themselves and each other as objects rather than as persons. The harder our hearts, the less human we are, and, and the less humanely we treat other people. We become petrified people. And when we're petrified, we also tend to become petrified, <laughs> afraid. Mm. 
And Paul says, this is not how you learned Christ. And what a curious way of putting it. Paul, Paul does not say, this is not how you, this is not how you uh, learned about Jesus, his teachings. He says, you learned Jesus, the person of Jesus. The person of Jesus is the content and, and the, the medium of what is preached and taught. I was deeply moved when a friend said to me recently, Rob, you're in my heart. When a person is in your heart, your heart changes. It bends toward that person. It wants to unite with that person. It is a deep union with that person. And that, Paul says, is a union we have with Christ. And therefore, that's why we can have that union with one another. That's what he means when he talks about learning Christ. It's what Jesus meant in the Gospel of John when he tells his disciples to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And the, the, the folks there were offended by that. But he says, you don't understand. By consuming my body and blood, I will dwell within you. God himself and we in turn will share in that divine life and that's the gospel and it's glorious and a holy communion we participate we fellowship together in the body and blood of Jesus Christ consider what he has done for us the incarnation is not just God becoming man but God coming into man so that we become new men and women new human beings not just saved to go to heaven when we die or to become good Christians we become human as Jesus himself is human. And it's what happens when we practice the presence of Jesus, the gentle Jesus, that Jim Leonard so gently invited us to experience two weeks ago. And what's characteristic of this new life? It's a tender heart. Be kind to one another. Tender hearted, Paul says. Ask yourself in this last year, this past month, this past week, is your heart becoming kinder and more tender or is it hardening against others? Do not grieve the Spirit of God in you, Paul says, in whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. What softens my heart? It's Jesus in my heart. What softens my heart to others to you? It's Jesus in your hearts. My heart, your, y'all hearts, as, as, as Father James reminded us a couple weeks ago. All of our hearts together, we are members of one another. To the extent we allow Jesus to soften our hearts is, to the, is the extent to which we will soften our hearts to others and hear the truth from them even when the truth hurts or they hurt us with the truth. Hurt can heal. This is what a mother says to the child when they're putting on some, you know, stinging whatever. It used to sting anyway, and I was a kid. Now they've got stuff that doesn't sting anymore. But mom says, this is going to hurt. It's going to make you better. But hurt can also destroy. It's all a matter of how we administer that hurt. When truth is spiked with anger, it is always destructive. Be angry, Paul says, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Be short on anger, in other words, he's saying, and long on mercy, long on forbearance. And then sometimes we say, Lord, how long? He said, longer. Be long on forbearance, especially when it comes to the truth. This is because truth, as Annie Lamott said, truth like reality is unforgivingly complex. Any one of us does not have the entire truth. Jesus does. Jesus is the truth. And the truth is in Jesus. No one of us can say, I am the truth at any time and there is an objective truth and Jesus embodies it and there's also subjective means to the pursuit of that truth Paul says in Corinthians we see through a glass darkly but then face to face 
We are not fully formed as human beings until we see Jesus face to face. Christian theology insists that part of us as human beings has been touched. Every part, not just part, every part of us has been touched by some degree of corruption. So none of us can see the truth as it fully and completely is. All we can say is that we have slivers, parts of the truth. And this is where love comes in. It's not so much about being right with the truth that I have, but about being in right relationship. How can the truth that we share together, how can that draw our closest together, us closer together? When we're in right relationship with one another, we will help one another see and understand and live the truth. And when we do so imperfectly, Paul says we need to forgive one another. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. The evidence of a tender heart is forgiveness. When we love one another, we will speak the truth to one another, we will try to, and we will invariably hurt one another, and so we must forgive one another. Every sin, every slight in Christ will then not harden our hearts to one another, but will soften our hearts. That is because the love of Jesus is in our hearts, and the love of Jesus is a forgiving love of Jesus. Forgiveness is the work of love. Forgiveness is the oil in the engine of a community trying to move forward and creating heat and friction. We need a lot of oil administered liberally. And we also need some coolant. Chill out just a bit. We cannot love without hurting one another, which means we cannot love without forgiving one another. And that process of sinning and forgiving and being forgiven softens our heart. Uh, I'll tell you a little story here about Tammy. I tend to tell a lot of stories about Tammy. It makes sense because I, I live with Tammy. I spend most of my time with her. So here's a story. Tammy, on Thursday, I uh, went to the doctor's office uh, just to turn in some uh, routine lab work. And as she was leaving, she casually mentioned to the, to the nurse that she had some pain and numbness in her arms. Well, you know what? That sets off, right? All the alarms. The nurse says, go to the ER right now. Don't even go to urgent care. To the ER right now. Tammy called me on her way to the ER, and I immediately protested. Don't do it. You're going to get sucked into the bowels of the medical system. It happened to me a long time ago. I was fine, but I was in two days and thousands of dollars later. Don't do it. And when, and, but she ignored me. She went to the ER, and she called me again. And she said she had gotten the tests, and all were OK. And I said, of course they're OK. Now get out of there. And she said, well, they're worried about my blood pressure. And I got even more animated, and, and, and I started yelling some more, which, of course, sent her blood pressure soaring. <laughs> and as I was yelling at her, and she was absorbing all this, I'm thinking, why am I doing this to her? She's my beloved wife. <laughs> and so I went to the hospital, and when I got there, she said the doctor was considering releasing uh, her until, until I called <laughs> and spiked her blood pressure. <laughs> Full of the truth, you know, about the medical system and all. Well, I held her hand, both my hands around her hand, and asked her to forgive me, knowing she already had. And, uh, and uh, her blood pressure started to go down. And I knew she had already forgiven me because she loves me even when I'm hammering her with the truth. And even as her blood pressure is rising. And when someone forgives you when you're doing that, you know what that kind of forgiveness does to you, what it did to me. It melts my angry, demanding heart. 
I realized something uh, recently about forgiveness, that there are only two great commandments, uh, to love God and to love neighbor. There's not a third commandment to forgive. You know why? Because uh, forgiveness is subsumed in love. To love is to forgive. Love is the work, forgiveness is the result. And the love that, that generates forgiveness is not our love for the person we are forgiving. Because forgiveness would then be contingent on our capacity to love, which is so limited. I mean, after all, if you've been sinned against, if, 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 you've, if, if the sacred parts of you have been sinned against, it can be overwhelming, like overloading, an overload on our circuitry. Too much demand and too little supply. We simply cannot generate that much love. But God can. Thanks be to God. He is the eternal source of unlimited love. And it's his love for us which enables us to forgive others. I don't forgive you because I love you. I forgive you because God loves me. And I guess because God loves me, I can, I can love you freely and with an open heart. So I, I, I close by, well, I don't have the bulletin with me, but look at the picture there on the cover of your bulletin. Brad, Kathy found it, found it for me. Uh, uh, you can keep listening while you look, or hopefully you can multitask here. Um, and when, when uh, Father James saw the picture, he, he emailed us and said, Jesus is looking pretty chill for trying to have dinner at a Renaissance festival. <laughs> I mean, you know, this is a great picture. A more familiar image is perhaps uh, Jesus on the cross. But, but why is Jesus on the cross? So that we can join the festival of his love for us. His body is blood, which are the gifts of that lavish love for us. As it reads in Deuteronomy, God is bringing you, us, into a good land, a land of brooks and fountains and springs flowing forth, a land of wheat and barley, vines, fig trees and pomegranates, olive oil and honey. Oh, what a vision. And then this proclamation in verse 10, when you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God. Satisfied. God, may your mercy satisfy us and your goodness. Satisfied with and in the lavish love of God for us, even in the midst of all our hurt, confusion, and fear, we can be chill with Jesus. Love hurts. But it also forgives and heals and renews and restores. Thanks be to God.